This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. First John is a, is a book in the New Testament, and it's written to second and third generation Christians. So it's really cool that those who didn't walk with Christ when he's on the earth get to kind of hear firsthand from someone that did. Uh, the Apostle John, or an elder of the church, and he's writing to us about the contrasts that exist in the world and, and some of the confusion that sometimes we can have. And last week, we got to start by looking at the difference, the contrast between light and darkness. You know, we live in a, in a gray world. We live in a world where there doesn't seem to, to be a, a lot of clarity about anything. And so, um, one of the things that we looked at last week was how that in a gray world, we still need the contrast where there's some things that are still black and white. So we need that sense of God is light, and in Him there is no darkness. <clears throat> and you can look at the themes that we're going to be looking at uh, throughout the book, each of the five Sundays in June, and today we're talking about God and the world. And I want to invite you to uh, pull out this insert that's in your bulletin. And just follow along with me because we're going to jump into the second chapter. And, you know, whether you are a, uh, a student of the Word and you are familiar with the Scripture or whether you're really not, it's okay. We're glad you're here. And hopefully uh, some of the things we'll be talking about today will make sense to, to all of us in terms of uh, this contrast between God and the world. And let's look together at those first three verses, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, what in the world does John mean when he says, don't love the world? I mean, what does he mean when he says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you? I I thought God loved the world. Or I thought, like John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. So we know that by the world here, it's not meant people. God's, God can't help himself. God loves people. But he's talking about something different here. He's talking about a, a world philosophy. He, he's talking about an attitude uh, about a kind of an arrogance or a kind of a defiance and, and just kind of like I'm at the center of, of my universe. And, and really, uh, verse 16 kind of answers it for us, doesn't it? When, it? when it says that it's the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Uh, well, what does that mean? Well, it, by flesh, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with sexual desire or physical desire. That's not what it's meant by flesh, but it, it's just kind of this enmity or this uh, uh, defensiveness that, that's, that's against God, that, that I've got my life and I'm going to live it the way I want to live it. And, 
It's this idea about the, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. You know, it's where we measure people based on how many letters may be behind their name. What's their credentials? Or what's the clothes they wear? What's the car they drive? Or what kind of house do they live in? It's that whole idea of getting caught up with is, is looking at people through the values of the world. And when we do that, the love of the Father is not in us. Now, I love the way the message, which is a modern translation, how it reads. And we'll just look at this real quick. This is the way the translation Eugene Peterson puts it. Don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love for the Father. Practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all is wanting and wanting and wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. What a contrast. James Ramsey plays uh, center field for the Springfield Cardinals, and he's on the disabled list right now. Ramsey uh, came to church here a couple of weeks ago and spoke to one of our church groups, uh, the Let's Group. And uh, I love what Ramsey said about his own personal walk with Jesus. He talked about the time when he had just finished playing his junior year with Florida State, um, a real uh, all-American athlete, and he was offered a contract with the Minnesota Twins at the end of the junior year. And all the wisdom and all the values of the world says, take it. Take the half million and run. But he didn't do that because he felt like God had given him a platform or a place where God was using him at Florida State. And he went back his senior year and he talks about how God just opened up doors where he was able to to do God's will and purpose and was used by God in a mighty way. And at the end of his senior year, he got to sign a contract that was bigger for the St. Louis Cardinals. Even a better organization than twins, but anyway. <clears throat> but he says, that's not the point. He said, I play baseball. I give it my all. I, I pour out everything I got on the field. I serve my teammates in the dugout. Because my vocation really isn't baseball. That's my talent. That's what I do for a living. But my vocation is to glorify God, is to do whatever I can for God. I think that's pretty cool. He even reads books. Uh, he quoted Martin Luther. 500 years ago, there's a shoe cobbler came to Martin Luther and asked, what's the best way I can witness for Christ? And, the shoe, and Luther said to the shoe cobbler, you make shoes? He says, yes. He says, make the best shoes that you can and sell them at a fair price. Be a person of integrity. When nobody else is watching, do what's right. Do what's best. Live that way. That's, that's what it means to live for God and not according to the values of the world. Employers, do we pay employees a fair price? Employees, when we show up for work, do we give it our best? 
What kind of value system are we living under? The world's values or God's? Well, let's keep reading through this chapter, the next uh, few verses. He says, children. Now, we talked about this last week, how that John's a patriarch, he's an old guy, and it's kind of like your 90-year-old mother or father or grandmother or grandfather can call you child, and it's okay even if you're my age or less or whatever. Uh, it's that kind of spirit. He, he's writing it with a real tenderness. He says, children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Now, this language, the Antichrist, it, it seems kind of strange or weird, to, to perhaps to many of us. How many of you are familiar with the term Antichrist? Now, when I grew up, this was a Christian sport to guess who the Antichrist was. The world was going to come to an end in 1973. I had it in a book. I knew it was going to happen. And anytime there was a new pope, that's the Antichrist. Whenever there was a new president, that must be the Antichrist. Ronald Wilson Reagan was elected president. Some people said he was the Antichrist because the Antichrist has 666 on his forehead. You do the math. Ronald Wilson Reagan has six letters in every name. When President Obama was elected and at the height of his popularity, we know the Antichrist has to be popular because he's going to deceive the world, I got all kinds of emails about how Obama was the Antichrist. And all I want to say is, folks, that Christian sport is so unchristian. It is so not grounded in understanding or faith or perspective. We're not to play the guessing game. But, but here where, where I think we need to take this seriously. There's an antichrist spirit that's in, in the world and in the room. It's kind of like someone took a spray can and sprayed this cloud of confusion and this sense of darkness or this sense of, I don't know about all this stuff. And it's just so hard to believe. And, and yet it's very simple to believe in Jesus. And yet it's so hard. Because there's, there's a sense of something's in opposition to all this. And I think that in many ways uh, is a spirit of the Antichrist. Well, let's read on. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. What does 1 John want to say to us? Let's get clear about Jesus. When we get clear about Jesus, we get clear about the faith. When we don't get clear about Jesus, we don't get clear about the faith. And the early Christians had to keep going back to this basic understanding 
that God really put on skin, <laughs> that, that God really did walk this earth, that when you see Jesus, you, you really see the Father. Yeah, he really did come and live, and he really did die, and he really was raised from the dead. And do you know, for 300 years, Christianity was an illegal movement, and it evolved from a small band of persecuted people to the majority of the world became Christians as an illegal movement. And so by 325, the Christians, leaders from all over the Christian world, they wanted to get together and they wanted to just really kind of say, this is the essence of the faith. And in 325, the year 325, they gathered in Nicaea at the Council of Nicaea, and people risked their life to be there. In fact, some people were killed because they went to the Council of Nicaea. There were people who were persecuted because of that. There were some people that, that journeyed for hundreds, if not thousands of miles to get there because they really believed it was important that we get this right about Jesus. And so there was written the Nicene Creed. It was the first long, focused creed in the history of the Christian movement. And I want us to share this together today. I, we're going to pop the words up on the screen. And uh, these are the words that those earliest followers, three centuries just after Jesus' life, gathered together and said, crystallized it. They wanted to just kind of say, what is the essence of this Christian faith about? And this is what they said. Let's, let's read these words together. And you over and renovate. You read along with me too, okay? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now, you, know, you might be thinking, well, that's, that's all well and good. I'm, I'm glad we've, we know what uh, we say we believe. But how has it really become true? How does it be, become personalized and, and real in our own life? 
Now, I love the, the words of, of verse 24 that says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us eternal life. It's, it's when we get this understanding that God really lives in us. That God just didn't live in Jesus, but through faith, he lives in you. He lives in, in everyone that opens up their spirit and their hearts. And the way that people get to know Jesus is they hang around people who know Jesus. That means that you and I, we bear the family resemblance. Um, when people hang out with us, when people know us, they, we ought to remind them uh, in our spirit and in in our tone and our words and our actions and our love. Man, those, those people are different. Uh, those people are like Jesus. That, that's what it means. We bear the family resemblance. I have a twin brother. Roger and I uh, are not identical twins, uh, but we do bear a resemblance with each other. He's a little thinner than me, but anyway. Uh, but growing up and still to this day, our voices are very similar. Um, Forty years ago, um, well, a little bit more than 40 years ago, when he was dating his, his wife of 40 years, uh, he would talk on the phone to Tammy, and then he'd hand me the phone, and I'd talk to Tammy for a while, and, <laughs> and then he'd talk to Tammy a while, and she never knew the difference. <laughs> Until she said something kind of intimate, and then I, she knew it wasn't Roger. She said, Robert, get off the phone. Uh, my brother... Roger has a son, Jeremy, and my brother Roger and Jeremy, they both umpire, and, and I was there a couple of weeks ago, and I tell you, the resemblance is striking, the animation, the way they stand, the way they walk. I mean, Jeremy is like spit image of his father. Uh, Susan tells me that I walk really weird. I don't know that I do, but she says I got a weird gait about the way I walk, and she says, Jonathan, our son, when he and I walk together, oh my gosh, we walk just alike. There's a family resemblance. Friends, people come to know Jesus when there's a family resemblance. When, when we who are believers, when we are a part of the body of Christ, we put them to mind who Jesus is in the way we live our life. And when we enflesh Jesus, when we let God get in our skin, and we're not perfect, but we're authentic, we're real, and, and we're striving to be the people that we know God wants us to be, it's clear. And people come to know Jesus through us. Last week we had a, a, a family that came to peace with a pastor, and uh, they're... Their son is a, someone that goes to Pittman School. And we have a good news club, and we have people that go there every Tuesday during the school year. And because of that, because this young man got touched by Jesus through this church going out, not waiting for people to come in, but to bless the community, guess what? He says to his parents, I want to go to Schweitzer because of my experience. 
A couple of weeks ago, we had Rosalia, who teaches third grade Sunday school. She was kind of dancing around. She dances around all the time anyway. And she was dancing particularly well that day because there was a third grader, and they were talking about Jesus, and they were talking about the Scriptures, kind of the similar Scriptures we looked at today. And she just kind of asked the question, do you, do you know Jesus? And one little girl said, I don't know. And, and you could just tell it was, it was a holy moment. And she just kind of walked her through this basic step of understanding who Jesus was and they all just kind of cried tears of happiness together. It was a third grader because someone was Jesus to her and flesh to her, Jesus. In our food pantry ministry, we have stuff happening all the time. As people come for food, they, they come for prayer. Uh, just a, a week ago, we, we had a person that, that prayed, God, she asked Donna to pray that she might be reconnected with her son. And he just kind of disappeared in some kind of an estranged relationship. And so Donna prayed with her. And that afternoon, we got a phone call in the office from the lady who called back to say, tell Donna that when I got home, my son called me. Now, some people would say that's a coincidence. We would say that's a God incident. We would say that's a God thing. And the next day, Patty was sharing with me how that she was just sharing the good news about Jesus. And one woman was very ready and opened up her heart and received Jesus into her life. In all these cases, People got to know Jesus through people who were enfleshing him, who were loving people like him, who were who sharing, who were who just authentically living this life. It's when we bear the family resemblance that people come to know him too. Well, let's look at these final words together. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing, the anointing that you have received from him abides in you. And you have no one, no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. You know, there is no hierarchy in spirituality. We don't have to go through anybody else to come to Jesus. He forgives us. We have access to him. And as you and I grow in him and we grow more in this confidence in, in him, we, we recognize that we have an internal GPS system inside of us. And the more that we live with Jesus and live according to the Spirit, the more we can, with confidence, understand how we can follow God in practical ways every day that we live. You know, uh, I have an iPhone and you all have your phones and you have smartphones and you, I love technology and I hate technology and I think it's a blessing and I think it's a curse, you know what I mean? But it's amazing to me that, you know, I can just uh, press this button and I can ask Siri and she pops up and she asks me, how can I help you? I found this on the web. And I'm going to turn her off right now. 
But when I just pause, and she asks me, can I help you? And I don't say anything. Then she says, well, this is some of the things I can help you with. I can tell you who's on the Giants roster. I can tell you how windy it is outside. I can Google the War of 1812. I can uh, tell you the temperature. I can tell you if your daughter's at home. She's got a whole list for me of what she knows. And so I thought I'd just mess with her one day. And so I asked her, could you tell me how to, how to get to heaven? And she said, oh, let me think about that. And then she directed me to some website. And then I asked her, can you help me talk? with a human being. And she said, I'm not available right now. I'll get back to you. Um, you know, I think that's uh, what we're really hungry for. What we're needing is connection. We're needing connection with God, and we're needing connection with each other. Uh, one of the blessings of, of annual conference, and I, we have this annual conference going on where over a thousand United Methodists from Missouri are down at the Expo Center, and I'm playing hooky today from annual conference so I could come and be with you. And, but the best thing about conference is I, I get to reconnect with my friends, and we get to sit down, and we get to talk about what's really going on in our life, and we don't have to make any pretense, and we can talk about our real struggles and our heartaches and, as well as our joys. And uh, That's what it means, friends, to to know God, to be a part of the body of Christ, and to live according to the values that God has for us and, and not the values of this world. So what a contrast that John lays out for us. And I just want to encourage you today to, uh, to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, uh, to hang around with people that know him if, if you struggle with that, and to know that you're going to be loved here unconditionally because we really believe that uh, this world and all its values and all its junk, it's passing away. But those who do God's will will live forever.